We've been in Acts, the book of Acts, for the last uh, couple of months, the season of Easter, and this week we're still in Acts, but we're rewinding a bit back towards the beginning of Acts, starting with Acts chapter 1, verse 12. They returned from Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was all in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us one of these two you have chosen to take the place in his ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Today we continue this resurrection. It changes everything. Today we see how it changes a guy named Matthias from a follower to a leader. To somebody who had just been following after Jesus with the crowds to become an apostle. Matthias was somebody who had followed Jesus and was a witness to everything that happened since the beginning with the baptism by John. And now by casting lots, by throwing stones or pulling stones out of a bag, he was selected to replace Judas. He gets promoted. Now, a lot of us enjoy being promoted. You, you get more uh, power, you get more control, you get more money, you get more whatever, you get more responsibility. But the disciples were constantly wanting to get promoted. John and Peter and James fighting over themselves as to who's the best one, who's the, who's the top dog? Now, sometimes you self-promote out of selfishness or an unhealthy desire to take control. We see this self-promotion that's powered by greed and aspiration can lead to falling like Judas. Instead, it's our God who calls and who empowers. And he's called and empowered every single one of us. Any of you who have been baptized in the waters of your baptism, you have been called to carry this message out into our community. And so I ask the question again, what is the next stage in your life? Let me be more specific. What is the next stage of growth and development in you as a disciple of Jesus? How do you need to grow to better follow him? 
You see, the resurrection changes everything in the time between Jesus' ascension and his coming back again. This period of time that the disciples were now waiting, we are now waiting, waiting for Jesus to return. And I think we get three great images in our text this morning that I want to highlight. The first image that I want to highlight is this concept of staying in the fellowship. Right? The disciples, the apostles, they're not exactly clear what comes next. They don't know. They've just been told before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit comes upon you, I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem. And so they take this time to go to Jerusalem and they are in complete prayer and focus as to what comes next. Three years of ministry that Jesus has leading them. Jesus has suffered. He's died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. He's ascended into heaven and now they're just waiting. And Jesus specifically said, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then here comes the, the classic dad joke. Do you know what kind of car the apostles drove? A Honda. Because they were all of one accord. <laughs> so this Holy Spirit... Is, is pulling the men and the hearts and their minds into one focused direction. They were united in one accord, their minds spent on one direction, focused and earnestly and fervently in prayer. God, what is it that you want us to do next? Let us know the time that you want us to move. Let us know the, the way that you want us to go. Let us, let us know, God, we, we don't know what comes next. We see this uh, illustrated by the disciples when Jesus is getting ready to ascend up to heaven and, and they ask, is this the time when you're going to make your kingdom like powerful on earth right now? And Jesus, as he's ascending, does the face palm. Like, you still don't get it. And so they're praying, what comes next? What comes next? Now, we live in a society right now that really emphasizes individualism, and this kind of camaraderie that pulls people together for one cause is, is rare. Maybe we see this in politics where a political party draws people together and, and moving together in one direction. Or, or even better, for me anyways, because it's, it's less angsty, is sports, right? And I'm a huge college football fan. And there, there are a few things that band people together like the fervor of a Saturday afternoon or even better, a Saturday night football game with all the, all the pageantry of the college football and all the traditions of college football and all the, the face painting and body painting and all the everything about it. It pulls people together in one accord, fervently devoted to cheering on their team who's going to be victorious and win. What would it look like if St. Luke's were the same way? As we get ready to roll out a strategic plan in the fall, what would it look like if everybody grabbed a hold of that and said, this is it. This is what God wants for us to do. Let's go do this together in one accord. Every single member from the youngest to the oldest says, I'm in. Let's go. Imagine the force and impact on this community. It would be tremendous to be of one accord, to be fervent in prayer. Because, you see, only when Jesus is the source of that accord, is the source of that focus, is the direction, the vector that you're headed, 
Only when Jesus is the object of our devotion can human beings exist and coexist with all of our unique differences. In fact, uniting ourselves under Christ makes our differences not a detriment, but it makes them strengths as we bring in multiple pieces of the body of Christ to do different things with different strengths and different passions and different abilities. But imagine all of those parts of the body of Christ pulling together in the same direction. See, Jesus can be a stronger bond than any other affiliation that we can be a part of. And we can celebrate differences when we're united in Christ and allow those differences to become strengths as we celebrate the many different functions of the body. Now, there are many what's next kind of moments in life. Right, we're in graduation season. Eighth graders are graduating to high school. High schoolers are graduating to the next chapter of their lives. Young people are moving forward into their, whatever their next stage of education is. It's a holiday season this weekend, and spring is coming to a close, and summer is on its way. That means hurricane season is two days away. Changes are happening. Maybe there's different kinds of what next moments in your life. Major, a major, major transition or health changes, relationship changes, work changes, the loss of a loved one. As you wait for the Holy Spirit to make things clear, to answer the question of what comes next, it's important for you to stay in the fellowship, to make worship a regular practice. And for those of you who are watching online at home, I am so glad you're watching online, but we would so much rather have you be present. We are missing out on you not being here. This fellowship and staying connected, not just hearing the word of God, but to connect with other believers is so incredibly important. To devote yourself in prayer. I think I can speak for absolutely everybody. All of us can grow in our prayer life. Even if you're praying hours and hours a day, there's still room to grow. And if you're praying three or four minutes a day, there's still room to grow. But to grow in your prayer life and to be in one accord with one another. To be in, in, in one accord with one another is, is to make sure that you see Jesus Christ as the one who unites us and makes us one. Not our agreement on this issue or that topic or that subject. And rather than looking for ways for us to be divisive or split apart, to look for reasons that unify us and bring us together. And no one can do that better than Christ. It's so important to stay in the fellowship, be devoted in prayer, and be of one accord with one another. Because when those things start to slip, when those things start to slide, when we get too casual with our faith, then Paul gives us this stern warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So the first picture I want to have in our minds is what it looks like to stay grounded in the fellowship. The second image that I want to share with you comes from Judas, where we see him going from a follower of Jesus to failing. See, God, in his foreknowledge, he knew that Judas would be the one who would betray Jesus. Even as Jesus is calling Judas to be a disciple, he knows that's the one. And had Jesus not chosen instead to not betray God, then the Father would have found one more way for Jesus to go to the cross. 
I'm even more confident that, that had Judas not despaired in his unbelief and, and taken his own life, but instead turned back to God and repented, then God would have forgiven him and reinstated him just like he did Peter. He would still be an apostle. See, one way or another, Jesus had to go to the cross, and, and had Judas in faith repented, he'd be an apostle still. These were two heartbreak moments for God. The first one, knowing that Judas would betray, and knowing, secondly, that Judas would die without hope that's found in faith in Christ. See, in Judas, we have this example of somebody who had come to faith, who had believed, who had served Jesus for three years, and then allowed the voice of the enemy, the voice of Satan, to enter into him and, and question, did God really say and think about what you could do with this on your own. And the enemy lulled Judah's faith to sleep and pulled him into his grasp. It's a preview of the despair and the eternal separation that we have when we die apart from faith. Judas' case is a strong law proclamation for us to not be lax, not to, not to get too comfortable, not to get too relaxed in our use of God's word and the sacrament, which is the continual access point, the venue, the funnel, the, the channel in which the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, unites us as one. We must consistently draw on the word of God and the sacraments he provides to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Like the branches in the vineyard, we have a desperate need to stay connected to the vine. We must constantly draw on word and sacrament to have our faith be fed by the Holy Spirit. Judas is this example of someone who went from following to falling. He saw and heard all the teachings, all the miracles of Jesus, but at one point he was tempted and acted on Satan's lie and he betrayed Jesus. This guilt led to remorse, throwing back the reward that was paid to him, but remorse is not the same thing as repentance. He felt bad about what he had done, but he, what he had done, but he did not turn back in sorrowful repentance. Instead, full of despair, full of despair, he fell to his death. And see, he didn't get a chance to see the impact of the resurrection. He died before Jesus did. He died before Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't have that hope. He didn't get to see the resurrection that changes everything, and he's lost. So that we don't fall into that same trap, it's so important to go back to that first image, that image of staying in the fellowship connecting in worship, connecting with one another, connecting in your small groups, connecting with your neighbors, connecting with your family, to be united in prayer, to pray in one direction for the will of God, for him to reveal that will to you at the proper time and to give you the strength and courage to boldly go marching into it. Then we get a, a turn for the better in this account. We hear the story of Matthias. It's a brief story. We don't hear a whole lot about Matthias other than the, that he was Judas' replacement in the 12 apostles. But we get this great example of somebody who was following Jesus who's now called to a place of leading others to him. See, Messiah, Matthias saw and heard all the teachings and all the miracles of Jesus. He was tempted, just like 
all of the disciples were and abandoned Jesus at the cross. Sadness, guilt, and shame all permeated his soul. But by the grace of God, he stays the course. And he, he has this opportunity to witness the resurrection. And just like we've been saying for the last several weeks, the resurrection changes everything. And now Matthias is named as one of the twelve. Acts records this. So one of the men who has accompanied us during the, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become a part of the witness of the resurrection. See, qualifications weren't enough. Being a, a good guy wasn't what made Matthias an apostle. It's just the fact that he saw it. The fact that he was an eyewitness made him an apostle. That with his own eyes, he saw the ministry, the teachings, the healings of Jesus. He witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. All the way up to the point of ascension, he saw all of these things. And just being an eyewitness was what qualified him to be an apostle. His testimony was valid because it was firsthand. And there's incredible power in a testimony, the power that we have in our own stories with God to be able to share with others what God is doing, has done, and will continue to do in our own lives has incredible power and authority. Maybe you don't feel like you can spout off Bible verses from memory and quote scripture left and right or debate really well, but I can guarantee you this, you are the world's foremost expert on God's story in your life. No one can refute that. Refute? Refute. Yeah, maybe I'm hungry. Yeah. Fruit. <laughs> That's when you eat fruit the second time. You fruited and then you refruit. Thanks. Sometimes. Where'd I go? Oh, testimony, story. You are the world's foremost expert on your story. No one can refruit <laughs> what God has done in your life. So share that story. Be bold with it. That's why God gave you that story to begin with. There's great joy in telling the truth of what God has done in your life. And then this task of apostleship, our text today describes it as a ministry. The Greek word for ministry means service. Like the service you receive when you go to eat at a restaurant. The person who serves you, that's the word for ministry. They're ministering to you. They are serving you. And then whenever I, I hear that, that that's what that word means, I, I go back to uh, one of the years when I worked at seminary. I've, I've only spent one year of my life as a waiter, and I was a waiter at a Holiday Inn um, restaurant, full kitchen. This was before Holiday Inn Express. This was like the real deal, Holiday Inn restaurant, and uh, it was great. Uh, if you provided good service and you were attentive, you weren't overbearing, but just enough, then sometimes if people were generous and courteous, they would recognize the fact that you were providing them excellent service and they would tip accordingly. Sometimes, which turned into rarely. <laughs> and I don't know how many people have ever been a waiter or are a waiter or a waitress. It's a, like people just thank you for the great job you did. All the time, they just go over and above to, to let you know how good you did. Ever, never, 
I can't remember how many times I just got stiffed. And there's this, it's this incredible feeling of, of pouring yourself out and serving and then not getting anything back in return. But if you think about it, that's exactly what ministry should be about. Ministry should be about us serving people who can't give anything back. Ministry should be about us giving to those who, who can't repay us. Ministry should be about helping people who, who don't have the ability to give us any favors in response. To serve without expecting anything in return. That's ministry. That's what we're called to do. Whether you're called to do that at your home or at your place of work, school just got out, so whatever you're doing for the summer. But to look for people who need help that cannot do anything to repay you. That's service. That's ministry. You are, if you are in a season of life that is in transition, and you're asking yourself what comes next, it is absolutely critical, number one, that you remain in the fellowship. Be united in prayer. Number two, that you, you take care not to go from follower to fallen. Don't get relaxed. Don't just let things slide. Don't let things go too far. But abide in that fellowship. And two, grow in your discipleship from a follower to a leader. Grow in that. That you're not just here to, to, to listen to a message and then go live the rest of your lives. You're here to be fed by the word of God. And then to take the next step in whatever that looks like for you to follow after Christ. To take up your cross. To follow him. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this account that gives us, gives us guidance as to what to do when we don't know what to do. Reminds us to stay united together in this fellowship. That encourages us and warns us not to take our faith for granted or be lax with our time in the word and in prayer, but to constantly pursue that. And, and even more so, God, to not just be content with where we are, but, but hunger for more of you, hunger for more time in your word, to hunger for more time in prayer, and to be bold and courageous to take the next steps that you set in front of us. We pray this all in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.